All right, um, Genesis 29. We don't have time to read the whole chapter or talk about it, so we'll just briefly take a look at... That clock's all messed up back there. Okay, I think I can track now. Uh, Genesis 29, we're actually going to start in verse 15. Um, so let me read the, I'm going to read the whole passage first that we're talking about. I'll pray, and we'll, we'll jump into some stuff. So Genesis 29, verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, or since you related to me, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Aww. Right? Isn't that like the part where you go, aww? I don't care who you are. Seven years is eternity in my mind, right? I did Bible college and seminary seven years, and that was the longest seven years of my life. It did not feel like a few days. Anyway, maybe. Sorry. Distraction. Verse 21. Here we go. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Come around and tell me how you feel, man. For my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people <clears throat> of all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Billah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Let's pray. Um, Father, I know that sometimes it's hard for us to um, come to your word for all that it offers us and to appreciate um, the stories it tells, Lord, because oftentimes, Lord, we read these stories um, with our own set of uh, just assumptions, and God, we come with our own doubts and worries, and, and Lord, we just pray. Uh, by your spirit, you give us understanding, that you would help us to see how every story ultimately points to your son, Christ. So Lord, help these students to know that even in a bizarre passage like this, God, you are communicating and revealing who you are. So God, uh, bless this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't... I think I need to uh, talk about this much to know. That's probably true of all of us at one point. But at some point, um, I think we all are going to feel, even when we're around people we love, 
the feeling of that I'm not really wanted. The feeling that even though I have friends all around me, I still feel kind of lonely. The feeling of maybe um, that if people ever have the opportunity to hang out with someone more fun or more cool, that they would easily leave me and go hang out with those people. I'm sure in high school, all of us at one point or another have felt um, either unwanted, lonely, hurt, abandoned, right? It's kind of, um, I would say especially junior high was a time in life where, personally speaking, I don't want to speak for everyone, where I'm surrounded by so many people, yet so unsure of myself, so unsure of where I stand with people, so unsure of whether or not the friends I had yesterday will still be the friends I have today. And this passage brings up, I I think, some pretty relevant issues for high schoolers. I think it brings up uh, the fact that all of us search for meaning and we search for um, happiness and we search for um, ultimate success in relationships, right? I think uh, what's unique about your generation um, is the presence of social media, how we can have so many followers or friends quote-unquote, and really feel more alone than any other generation ever has. And um, I read this passage, and I don't know about you, but, um, man, I just broke it. It's just sad. And and sometimes um, modern readers of the Bible have hesitations about this kind of stuff because um, you have polygamy, you have multiple wives, you have things like... Um, being a woman being sold, right? And you have sisters, right? And, and actually, Jacob is, I think, actually a, um, a cousin. So he's marrying two of his cousins. So you have a lot of things that, that are interesting because in our day and age, uh, we marry for love, right? And back then, I, don't, I, don't, and I think, matter of fact, marrying for love is probably a recent phenomenon in human history. Most people, catch this, uh, this human span of, of history have married for status. I haven't really married for love. And so we, we look at this passage and we say, like, what in the world is happening? But here's the thing I wanted to say. The Bible is describing something, but it is not advocating for it. Matter of fact, Genesis is a great book of showing the dysfunctionalness of what happens when you take God's created order for marriage and sexual fulfillment outside of those boundaries. So do you see how... how There's this show on TLC that every once in a while we'll put on. I mean, I'm talking like once or twice a year we put it on because every time I'm so amazed by this. But it's called Sister Wives. Has anyone heard of it? Okay, so there's like four women married to one dude. They live in like... They're in Utah, now they're in Las Vegas, and they want to move back to Utah. And this one guy is married to multiple women. And do you think those four women always get along together just great? The did, whole show is based off of that. The, right? You wouldn't have a show, right? And so you see here, literally that last verse we read, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Right? How did, how did the passage describe Leah? Uh, weak eyes. We don't really know what that means, right? Uh, a lot of people try to 
make up a lot of things what that means. I Probably just something to do with her eyesight. She didn't have that sparkle. She might have had a lazy eye, she's cross-eyed or something, right? I'm not necessarily meaning that she's um, not attractive, but compared to her sister, what did it say about Rachel? That she had nice form. Now in the Hebrew, here's what that means. That she had nice features, okay? Right? Like, that's just the way it says it, right? It's pretty, like, up here in your face. And that she was beautiful, beautiful in form and appearance. And what this passage really highlights is how a lot of us try to find meaning and fulfillment. And, and this passage in particular talks about marriage. And I, I realize no one here in this room is married other than myself. Because all the other married leaders aren't here tonight. Black and Kimberly are like, oh, this close. But you ain't, right? Um... But let me tell you typically how, how some people have tried to use relationships, use marriage to, to be like their defining thing that gives them meaning and purpose in life. And so what I really want to do is I want to show how Jacob represents one of those people and how Leah represents the other side of those people. So really, in our society, here it is. Uh, you have conservative folk, maybe a church-going folk like ourselves, and we idolize the platonic family. Right? We idolize the, you get married, you fall in love, you stay pure, you have a few kids, you have the white picket fence, and you have your close-in little group. And that is just hailed as like, this is what you really want to get at in the Christian life. As a matter of fact, I, I think there's been a little bit of resurgence of, of churches beginning to push back on this sense of like, you know, they might not explicitly say it, but to those who are in their 20s or 30s not married, you're kind of sometimes looked like, What's the matter? Come on. Because we idolize so much the family. Now, here's the thing about idolatry in the Bible. When we idols, today, I think even my wife was going through some catechism lesson with one of her daughters, and she asked Abby, what's an idol? She's like, it's a pole or a, you know, some kind of image thing. So she literally thinks of like, you know, worship some, you know, golden calf, an idol. But an idol, biblically speaking, is what we take good things, we make them ultimate things. So is family a good thing? Absolutely. Is sex a good thing? Absolutely. Is having a job and making money a good thing? Absolutely. But the problem is with our hearts is we take those to be ultimate things and we worship them. And so a lot of times what I'm trying to say is that your family could become your idol. And we'll see that a little bit in Leah. But the reaction to that is a lot of people in our day and age are pretty suspicious of marriage. Um, I, I can't tell you how many people I know who live together, who have even kids together, who have been together for seven, eight years, and they still, you, met, you mentioned marriage, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? And kind of the idea is when you take God out of the equation of your life, there's still a sense in which every person wants to know that their life is for something, that their life is meaningful. And we kind of see this in Jacob where he just wants to live for the moment. He wants to live for that passion, that love, where after he works seven years without any um, proper respect, he says, hey, let me have sex with your daughter. It's my time. That's in essence what he says, right? So you have a more conservative where we worship the family, and yet we have some people who say, I'm just going to live for myself. And here's what I want to say. Um, being single and living for yourself is destructive, but also, at times, being married and having a family can be equally destructive. 
If either of these things become things we try to search for meaning and happiness, in essence, if you want to know if something's an idol, here's a good diagnostic, not diagnostic question. If you say to yourself, if only I had this, I would be more happy. If only I had this, life would be a little bit better. If only one day I could attain this, then finally I'll feel like I've arrived or succeeded. And so search your heart. Know those things. And so in this passage, we see, and what I want to do is I want to look a little bit at kind of walk through Jacob and what, what all he's doing, and then I want to walk through Leah and show really how God still takes people who are forgotten and unaccepted and has a plan for them. So uh, I didn't read the first part of chapter 29, but the passage begins uh, where Jacob, he arrives in the land. So last week we saw that Jacob was on his way to his uncle Laban's house, and he has this vision with a ladder, and God promises a covenant with him. So he finally arrives to Laban, and he's kind of talking to Laban's workers, and he's kind of scoping out the field a little bit, and he catches eyes with this really pretty girl. Okay? So it's really hard to understand some of these passages in depth without knowing the cultural context, right? But um, if you do me a favor, look at verse 9 of chapter 29. While he was still speaking with them, so uh, Jacob's talking to some shepherds of Laban's, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, what do we call that then? Your cousin. <laughs> right, West Virginia. Um, so that's probably mean to people who live in West Virginia. I apologize. Whoever listens to this from West Virginia, probably no one. Anyways, um, so uh, middle of verse 10. Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. So, Jacob has this unique thing. Now, so customary back then was to um, kind of kiss somebody to greet them, right? Then maybe you would offer to help the, uh, water the sheep, and then you would kind of introduce yourself a little bit. So, he reverses the order. So, he has this moment of, like, love at first sight, right? So, he gets all, like, I'm going to water your sheep, I'm going to kiss you. And then she runs, and she tells her dad, hey... Dad, this dude, Jacob, he kissed me, blah, blah, blah. And so Laban's like, hmm, interesting. Now, I mentioned before, Jacob, his name means what? Deceiver. Deceiver. He's kind of had daddy issues his whole life. His dad didn't love him as much as his older brother. Uh, He's been rejected, and that kind of turned him into someone who's always going to scheme and get his way. But now he's going to run into someone named Laban who's going to kind of twist the tables. Oh, uh, again, Michael Scott. Oh, how the table turns have turned. How the turntables. Oh, how the turntables have turned. So, uh, so Laban says, hey, Jacob, my family. Um, yeah, man, like, I, I see that you work really hard. You're, you're pretty smart. I shouldn't just, you know... What did we say in verse 15? Because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? So he's kind of like, you've been working hard for a month. What do you want? I got my eyes on the prize, man. I want Rachel. I want Rachel. You see, Jacob represents someone who just is feeling. He's just emotionally kind of driven, right? He's not 
thinking through his actions because he would have known that back then, typically when you paid a bride price, it's about a month of wages. And who set the terms of this dumb arrangement? Jacob, look what he says. Um, uh, verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now here's what's really interesting. Take, take note of what Laban says here in verse 19. It is better, I have to take your medicine. I have alarms for my medicine too. Verse 19, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other person. Stay with me. What does it sound like to you? Communism. <laughs> well, I tell you what, it doesn't sound like. It doesn't sound like, sure, that sounds great. Yes. He kind of just says, like, you see, here's this thing, like, well, all I know, it's probably better for you to marry one of my daughters than for anyone else. He doesn't actually agree to the terms, right? And so, because Jacob is, is someone who is just so punch-drunk love, who just wants to find that beautiful woman, he think, he's thinking that if I just had Rachel, I would be happy, right? And so what exactly happens? He worked seven years, and for him, it seemed just like a few days. Now, here is the sad part of the story, right? As the custom was... Um, they would probably drink a lot during their weddings, and so he goes into the dark tent, right? And he uh, consummates the marriage. I hope you guys all can track with that, hopefully, right? And he wakes up in the morning, and here is the line. Look at verse 29. And behold, it was Leah. Behold, it was Leah. Let me just make a point really quick. A lot of times in our life, we are chasing after things that we think are going to make us happy. And here's the thing. Every single time we finally feel like we arrive at that point, here's what we're going to feel like. We wake up in the morning, and behold, it was Leah. You see, I think what, what Genesis is trying to teach us here, what Moses is, is trying to show us here, is that when we just passionately run after the things that grab our heart, it is never actually going to find out to be the thing that we really wanted. You can chase her after all the academic success that you want, and if you get it, here's what you wake up to find. It was Leah. You could chase after all the girls, after all the boys, after all the fun and exciting things in high school, and here's what you will find. That it never actually gave me what I was looking for. You can chase your life making um, tons of money, a lot of relationships. But here's the thing that the Bible says. The main thing you need in life is not people. It is not money. It is not success. It is not a good academic career. It's not a good sports career. Here's what it is. It is God that you need. It's a relationship with Christ. You see, technically, Jacob here, in this little situation, is getting exactly what he just did with his father a few chapters ago. You see, there's actually like um, an, an old uh, apocryphal story about Jacob written by some old Jewish guys, and they, and they said the night he was getting married, um, he called out, he asked, so he asked Leah, I called your name Rachel, and you responded, 
And Lee responds, but just like the time where your dad in the dark called out for Esau and you responded as Jacob, right? So literally, he is getting a taste of his own medicine just as his dad called out Esau and he pretended to be Jacob. What happens to him? He goes into the tent thinking for Rachel and he gets Leah. And I think, here's the thing, um, God has a way of helping us understand that if we chase after things other than him, we will wake up in the morning to be disappointed. And so Jacob really, I think he, he kind of shows a picture of the modern person who is just chasing after thing after thing after thing, thinking this will make me happy. This will finally be the thing. But he finds out that it's not. For the life of me, I still don't know why he didn't like come in guns blazing the next morning like, uh-uh, I have none of this, right? We made a deal, right? But something Laban says, this is our custom here where the oldest has to be married first, right? So the dude, again, agrees to another seven years of forced labor to have another wife. And this really leads us to our story about Leah. And this is where maybe I find more kind of personal encouragement from the story of Leah. Imagine being someone like Leah. So again, like I said, the Bible presents her as someone with weak eyes. You don't know what that is. But in contrast to her sister, she's made out to be someone who's probably not the easiest on the eyes. You know, imagine living under the shadow of your younger sister where you're... Your dad has to literally scheme and trick someone into marrying you. Now, girls, do me a favor. Tell me the truth. Do many of you grow up thinking one day when I get married, it's going to be because uh, the guy was drunk and we tricked him into it? Those are not the stories that we read, to, right? Right. You know, the knight in shining armor comes and rescues his damsel in distress and, you know, and respects and loves you and treats you like an equal. And, you know, like, that's a good picture, right? But then look at this, too. So Jacob, verse 30, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Imagine being married to a man who wouldn't notice you when you wanted to be noticed, who wouldn't love you when you wanted to be loved. And so actually, Leah presents for us someone who desperately wants to do the right thing, but actually finds that it's empty in herself. So here's where we kind of find a little bit more of her story. It's kind of sad. Look at verse 31. I didn't read this part. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So I don't know. You can maybe see this as God doing some cosmic justice, Right? It's like, hey, Jacob, dude, this is really messed up. So, Rachel, you can't have kids, but Leah, you can have kids. But here's this one observation I want to make. Look what it says. When the Lord saw. When the Lord saw. I'm going to come back to that word Lord in a second, but just notice for a second. The Lord saw how Leah was probably looked over by her dad. It wasn't the favorite of Jacob who was the second to everyone else. God took notice. So verse 32, And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Now back then, they named their kids based off of circumstances and feelings they had. So look what she says here. 
For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Oh, poor Leah. What does she think here? Right, she's in a marriage, and she notices that her husband doesn't really love her. The marriage isn't going so great. Kind of still looking at my sister a little bit. Oh, but I have a son. And see, back then, too, ancient Near East culture, having the son was like the peak pinnacle of social status. If you had a son, that meant, like, you were in the club, right? And so she's like, oh, I have a son, Reuben. Now Jacob will love me. Now Jacob will love me. Right? It's the same thing, right? If only I get this, then I'll be happy. But let's read on a little bit, right? Verse 33. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard me, has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So again, after every son, she's thinking, okay, finally now this will be the time. Finally now my husband will be attached to me. Finally now we can have oneness. Right? A lot of people think, man, if I can just get married one day, I'll be happy. Guess I cannot tell you how many people I've counseled and just try to disciple people through. Like, listen, Marriage is great, but man, it will destroy you just as much as singleness would. Look at, look at Jacob. He got married and he was a wreck. Right? And so sometimes we just feel like, man, if only I could just get married. If only one day I can just get this. If only one day, fill in the blank, my life will be better. If I can just get that boy to like me. If I can just get the, the college of my dreams to accept me. And so Leah really, uh, unfortunately, uh, she's unwanted. She's not loved. After three sons, uh, still is in a marriage in which she's unnoticed. And so I mentioned really quickly that in verse 31, she says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her room, opened her womb. Room, womb, same thing, right? Um, what's interesting here is uh, we don't really know how Leah learned about Yahweh. Now, in Hebrew, there are a lot of different names for God. There's El, there's Elohim. We've been talking through Genesis about some of the names of God. Jehovah Jireh, do you guys remember what that one means? The Lord provides. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. El Roy, the God who sees, right? Um, so there's a lot of different names for God, but the ultimate name for God is what we call Yahweh, right? It's God's covenant name. It's the name that he's made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob now, right? And so when Leah here in verse 35 says, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord, the name there is actually Yahweh. And so at some point we have to, Think that Jacob told her about Yahweh, told her about what does it mean to follow God, told her about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's the thing, guys. Leah was a slow learner, but ultimately, she learned to know that if I continue to try to find my meaning and my purpose and my acceptance and my love in other people, I will always be miserable. And so when she comes to her fourth son, what does she say? 
this time I will praise the Lord. She's learning. Imperfectly. But what does she come to the conclusion with? You know what? No more of this me trying to please my husband. Because if I only live for the approval of Jacob, I'm constantly going to be miserable. And if we serve any other thing or any other person, we'll become just like Leah miserable. And so she has this breakthrough moment. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, she's, look what she names this kid. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Now, if you know the Bible a little bit, you know that in Israel there was 12 tribes. And you know that from the line of Judah came the kings. And through the line of the kings came Jesus. You see what's so interesting about this story? Is that God notices the unnoticed, the unpopular, the lonely, the ones who are hurting. And he says, through you, I'm going to make the mother of Christ. You see, he didn't choose Rachel, the pretty one. He didn't choose anyone else. He, he chose the one who had weak eyes, whatever that means. He chose the one who, who struggled to find meaning in marriage, but he chose Leah to have actually the line through which Christ would one day come. And I think, guys, what's so important about Scripture is that the, the storyline of Scripture is never about people who have it all together, who by their great work and by their great ethic and because they're so smart and so put together, God used them. No, no, no. I, here's what I'm saying, guys. Listen. God has a unique attraction to people who are unnoticed, unpopular, weird, lonely, messed up, whatever word you want to use. It seems like God uniquely likes those people the most. Because really, that's a picture of the gospel. You see, I'd also say, in this story, what's so hard about it is there's no real hero. No one in this story does anything redeeming. Okay? It's all messed up. Like I said, there's polygamy. You're selling people into marriage, which is wrong and bad. God does not agree with that. But what really do we see in this story? How does this story relate us to Christ? Because really, guys, here's the thing you have to know. Jesus became the son of Leah. He became the son of Leah. How? Because when Jesus came down, he was rejected. He was despised. Isaiah 53, there's nothing about his appearance that would make us drawn to him. Right? He was forgotten about. He was exposed. He was put on the cross. He was literally Leah. Why? So you and I wouldn't have to be. Every single one of you, I guarantee you, at some point in your life has already experienced this or knows the, 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 or will know the deep pain of what it's like to feel lonely, to feel the sting of rejection, to feel friends abandon you, to feel passed over because someone is better. And here is the best news of all that Christ became that person ultimately before God so that we wouldn't have to, so that God would look at us and say, I love you. And you're the very person that I want to be with. 
And so when we chase after idols, when we chase after things that we think are giving us meaning, it just leads to a lot of dysfunction. It leads to a lot of chaos. But Jesus is always the picture for us of how he is the person who really became the one who went unnoticed and rejected and despised in order that we could be loved sons and daughters of God. Last point I want to make here. I've been making this point a lot through Genesis. Look how dysfunctional Leah's life is. And look how God still has a plan for her life. Let me tell you something. There is nothing you can do to ruin God, God's plan for your life. There, so people say, like, oh, I'm going to turn to plan B. Let me just tell you something. With God, there is no plan B option. God can take all of the dysfunction of your life. God can take all of the weirdness, all of the false idols, and, he, and here's what he can do. He can make it for his glory and for your good. That's exactly what he does in the life of Leah. So I, I pray that when you guys, when you read this story one day to your kids, maybe you do, maybe you don't, because it's kind of weird. Here's what we should remember. That when we look to things or people to give us meaning or happiness, we'll always wake up in the morning and say, behold, it was only Leah. But what we ought to do is take a, a, a lesson out of Leah's playbook here. Instead of trying to get people or things to give us meaning, be like Leah and say, this time we will praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this word. And I pray, Lord, that you help us more each day grow in what it means to be someone who worships you and you only. God, so many times we're tempted to find our meaning and our happiness and our source of joy and our performances and other people. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would listen to what the Bible is teaching us, that, that Lord, it is only you who can give us true happiness and fulfillment. And, and truly, Lord, that, that's only true because of what Jesus has done, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. God, I pray that you would move in the hearts of these students. God, a lot of them know a lot about you. But Father, I pray that you would move them to having a deep intimacy with you, Lord, that you would change their duty to obey, to delight. Lord, I pray that in all things and all ways, we continue to remember Jesus, the one who was rejected and despised so that we wouldn't have to be. Thank you, God, for, for the gospel. I pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.